Common Law Wives and Concubines, Essays on Covenantal Christianity and Contemporary Western Culture, Stephen C. Perks. This is a Reconstructionist radio production with lrnteach.com. Please visit kuiper.org forward slash books to download or purchase this book. Common Law Wives and Concubines, Essays on Covenantal Christianity and Contemporary Western Culture, Stephen C. Perks, 2010, Kuiper Foundation, Taunton, England, narrated by Nathan Conkey. Chapter 9. The Church Effeminate I was once asked whether it would be correct to say that in the history of the world, whole dynasties, and indeed civilizations, have foundered on the rock of homosexuality. My answer was that I would not put it this way. Of course, I believe that homosexual practices are immoral and forbidden by God's law. However, in Romans chapter 1 verses 21 to 32, Paul puts it this way. Men turned away from serving God to serving the creature. As a consequence, God gave them over to impure passions. Homosexuality is God's judgment on a society that has turned away from God and worships the creature rather than the creator. Spiritual apostasy is the rock upon which cultures, including our own, founder, and homosexuality is God's judgment on that apostasy. This is why homosexuality was a common practice among the pagan cultures of antiquity, indeed is a common practice among most pagan cultures, including now our own increasingly neo-pagan culture. In short, the idea that the toleration of homosexuality is an evil that will lead to God's judgment is unbiblical because it puts the cart before the horse. The truth of the matter is that it is the other way round. The prevalence of homosexuality in a culture is a sure sign that God has already executed or is in the process of executing his wrath upon society for its apostasy. The cause of this judgment is not the immoral practices of homosexuals, immoral though homosexual acts are. The cause of the judgment is spiritual apostasy. The prevalence of homosexuality is the effect, not the cause of God's wrath being visited upon a society. And in a Christian, or perhaps I should say post-Christian society, this means inevitably that the prevalence of homosexuality in society is God's judgment on the church for her apostasy, her unfaithfulness to God, because judgment begins with the house of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. This is not a popular message with Christians. It is easy to point the finger at gross sin and immorality, but the church is much less willing to consider her own role in the social evils that blight our age. The spiritual apostasy that led to our present condition started in the church, and much of the debacle of modern society that Christians rightly lament can, in some measure, be traced to this apostasy of the church as the root cause. Even now, the church refuses to take her responsibility for preserving society from such evil seriously and has abdicated her role as the prophetic mouthpiece of God to the nation. Of course, 
This does not mean that we should not challenge the gay lobby and work to establish biblical morality in our society. We must, but we must also get our priorities right. And I fear that the church has misdiagnosed this problem and got her priorities wrong. The church suffers from the homosexual blight as much as, perhaps more than, with the exception of the media and entertainment world, any other section of society. For most of the past century, the church has been seeking a female God to replace the God of the Bible. We have had ministers who have thought, acted and preached like women for many years now. The clergy in our age is, on the whole, characterised by effeminacy. The increasing number of homosexuals in the ministry is, I think, with the cause and effect relationship related to this and, at the same time, a manifestation of God's judgement on the church. Often, of course, judgement works through cause and effect relationships because the whole creation is God's work. It therefore functions according to God's plan and will. The church has become thoroughly feminised by an effeminate clergy. Ministry today is directed primarily at women and ministers have begun to think and act like women so that Christianity has become what someone has called quote, lifeboat religion, unquote, women and children first, and the world sees this well enough. For example, I have been told on more than one occasion by priests and ministers that when they go out visiting members of their parishes, if the man of the house comes to the door, the first thing he will often say is, I'll go get the wife. Vicars and ministers are there to pamper women and children, or so the world thinks. And this is simply because ministry in the church is so often directed primarily to women and children, not to men. Likewise, I have been told by clergy that now that women are increasingly present in the ranks of the clergy, the nature of chapter meetings, etc., etc., has changed. Now these meetings of the clergy are characterised much less by doctrinal matters and discussion revolves more around relationship issues. In other words, the meetings have been taken over by a women's agenda. I have observed the same kind of thing in church meetings. If one brings up doctrinal issues or even serious issues about the mission of the church, there is little interest. There isn't time now. We'll deal with this another time, is the usual response, though seldom are such issues dealt with later either. But there is always enough time to consider trivial matters, and in particular whether all our relationships need more work on them. And yet, in most churches where I have experienced this kind of attitude, I have not detected serious relationship problems troubling the church. However, there have often been, and continue to be, prodigious doctrinal problems and problems related to the church's understanding of our mission in the world troubling these churches, yet these are not even considered worthy of discussion in church leadership meetings. Church leaders will talk endlessly about relationships and the like, but avoid doctrinal issues like the plague because these are deemed to cause division and hinder relationships. Now, at root, I believe this is a serious problem created by the feminization of church leadership. The leadership agenda, which is a masculine agenda, 
has been replaced by a feminine agenda, which is a disaster for leadership. The church has abandoned the God of Scripture for the coziness of a female type of deity who does not require church leaders to expound biblical doctrine or act with conviction according to God's word, both of which are perceived, often correctly, as causing division. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 following. But instead requires leaders simply to mother their congregations in a feminine way. This naturally produces effeminate clergymen and an effeminate church. But this is not merely an impersonal cause and effect relationship. God works through second causes in his creation to accomplish his will. An effeminate ministry and an effeminate church is God's answer to the church's determination to replace the God of Scripture with a female God. And this crusade against the God of the Bible has been, in its own way, as much a feature of evangelicalism as as much a feature of evangelicalism as it has been of the outright liberalism that evangelicals claim to abominate, yet so willingly imitate. Not only is this a problem for the church now, but because it is a problem for the church, society at large is now feminized and effeminate. We are ruled by women and men who think and act like women. But women do not make good rulers generally. In Margaret Thatcher, we had a reverse situation. A woman who thought more like a man should think. But the exception does not nullify the rule. I am not making a party political point here or endorsing any policies because even then I believe this was all part of the judgmental situation. The world is turned upside down because men have turned it upside down by their rebellion against God. Jean-Marc Berthou made this point well in his article, quote, Humanism, Trust in Man, Ruin of the Nations, end quote, which I recommend in relation to this topic. We are now ruled by women and boys, Isaiah chapter 3, verses 4 and 12. But leadership is not feminine. Effeminate leaders do not rule well, either in the state or the church. It is vital that justice is tempered with mercy, but one cannot temper mercy with justice. When mercy is put before justice, societies collapse into the idiotic situation we have today where criminals are set free and innocent people are condemned. For example, punishments meted out to motorists for inadvertently driving a little over the speed limit today, even when no danger is involved, are often more severe than punishments meted out to thieves. And a parent can be punished for spanking a naughty child today, even when such punishment is carried out in a loving and disciplined environment and there is no danger to the child. Yet, one can murder one's unborn children with impunity. The state even pays for these abortions by providing them on the National Health Service. This, I believe, is ultimately the result of the feminization of our culture. It is often thought that feminine rule is more compassionate, more caring. This is a myth that feminist ideology has worked into the popular perceptions of reality in our culture. On the contrary, the feminist culture is a violent culture, a culture that produces abortion on demand and, at the same time, the demand for the banning of fox hunting, 
a more perverse situation is hardly imaginable. Ultimately, feminism is in practice inherently violent, inherently unstable, inherently perverse, inherently unjust, because it is all these things in principle, that is, it is a rejection of God's created order, and the consequences of such a religious commitment will always work themselves out in practice. Feminism is now working out practically the consequences of its religious vision of society, and it is a religion. The churches have failed to see this. They have embraced feminism vigorously and, as a consequence, have become themselves a major avenue by which feminism has been able to influence our culture. The clergy were involved in feminising the faith and the church well before the feminist movement had become so self-conscious and popular. And the feminization of our culture is a major reason for its anarchy and violence. For instance, the result of the feminization of society has been that men have lost their role in many respects. Feminism has defined men into nothing more than yobos or effeminates. These are the two alternatives for men in the feminist perspective, although this is not understood by feminists because feminism is naive and operates not on the basis of reason, but on emotion. And this brings us again to the problem of female leadership and rule. Emotion does not lead or rule well. For feminists, men are incapable rulers. Women should rule. Now we have the rule of women and effeminate men. Now we have the rule of women and effeminate men. The effect of putting the feminine virtues in the place of the masculine virtues and the masculine virtues in the place of the feminine virtues has been to overturn the created order. As a result, justice is despised and mercy is turned into vice. Leadership is masculine, but it needs the tempering of the feminine virtues. When feminine virtues are in leadership, the masculine virtues cannot function. Masculinity is made redundant. This is one of the most serious problems facing our society. Feminism has rendered masculine leadership in the church and the nation obsolete, and we are now reaping the spiritual and social consequences of this. Justice is a casualty. Mercy ceases to be mercy and becomes indulgence, indulgence of the worst vices. Violence, anarchy, disorder and a dysfunctional society are the legacy of the feminization of our society because in this order neither the masculine nor the feminine virtues can play their proper role. The world is turned upside down. Even, quote, Bible-believing, unquote, churches are numbed in their apostasy regarding this and many other matters in our society. We have an effeminate church and an effeminate society. And therefore God's answer has been an increasingly homosexual ministry and an increasingly homosexual society. This is God's righteous judgment on our spiritual apostasy. The answer is repentance, turning to God and turning away from our rebellion against the divine order of creation. The church must start this. Judgment begins with the church 
1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. And repentance must also. I do not believe we will solve the homosexual problem until we recognize its cause. It is God's judgment on the apostasy of the nation. Leading the way to that apostasy was the church. What I have said above is not meant to downplay the seriousness of the homosexual problem, nor its immorality, but we must recognize it as a manifestation of God's judgment, as Paul teaches so clearly in Romans chapter 1. The answer lies with tackling the root cause while not leaving undone the other things. What is said here is not meant to encourage a lessening of Christian opposition to gay rights by any means, but it is meant to encourage a wider reading of the problem. Because it is in this wider reading of the problem that we detect the cause and hopefully the solution to the problem. Furthermore, this issue is not an isolated one. It is all part and parcel of the repaganization of our society, a trend in which the church, in large measure, has not only acquiesced, but sometimes actively encouraged by her myopic perception of the faith and her practical denial of its relevance for the whole of man's life, including his societal relationships and responsibilities. While criticism is necessary and vital in the church's prophetic task of bringing God's word to bear upon our society, it is not enough. The church must also throw off her own acquiescence in the practices of secular humanism and practice the covenant life of the redeemed community instead if she is to have any effect on our culture. So far, the church, by and large, has shown herself unwilling even to contemplate the practice of this covenant life and has contented herself with mere criticism at best though not even criticism of secular humanism or its code of immorality is to be found among many clergymen. Therefore, the judgment will continue unabated until the church, once again, begins living out as well as speaking forth the words of life to the society around her. Only then will she begin to manifest the kingdom of God and only when the church begins to manifest the kingdom of God again will our society begin to be delivered from God's judgment. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.